step inside my living room Share a little talk By roads walked and lessons learned Keeping the flame of faith burning I wanna know where you've been What you found out Spread some light in the darkness Spread it all about In the height in the hat, put it all in the hat. Hi, and welcome back to Hat Radio. My name is Avram Rosenzweig, and this is episode 11. Thank you so much. Thank you. I am uh, very, very happy that I'm here with an old friend, a dear friend, a lovely human being uh, whose name is Linda Krar. And I'm going to bring you in immediately. Usually I do a monologue and we're going to do okay. a dialogue together instead. So welcome, Linda Krar. Thank you so much, Evram Rosenzweig. Thank you. Thank you. And we're all dear friends, are we not? We are. We need to make a Shehechianu for yes. this moment. Yes. We really Baruch do. Shehechianu v'kimanu v'higianu l'azman Or amen. Amen. One of the two, right? Yes. Exactly. Which, by the way, to you listeners who are Gentiles or not affiliated Jews, that's the blessing for something new, right? It's, yeah, for, yeah, that we have lived uh, to, to, this, to have this moment. Exactly. Right. That's exactly right. right. Now, when you were a kid and your mother would buy you a sweater or she would bring it home from her store, we'll talk about that later. Right. Did you make a shachiyonu on that? No, but there were two things that she would say. She'd either say it in Yiddish or in Hebrew, depending. What was, it? What was that? So in Yiddish, it's Raskazintahait. <laughs> Tear it in good health. Tear it? Right. Yeah. Uh, and, in, and so in Hebrew, it's Titchadesh. Right. So the Yiddish right. version, version is just rip it in good health. Yeah. But you never said either of those two things over shoes because an animal died in order for you to enjoy those things. Yeah, it's very interesting. I right. once read that, uh, an interpretation right. as to why we do not wear shoes on Yom Kippur, and one of our great sages said, yes, because right. an animal had to die for you to That's wear right. that, so we That's take right. them off, right? Right, so the poo-poo-poo, kind of the uh, superstitious uh, avoiding the evil eye that you say when over shoes is trogus gesintheit, <laughs> wear it in good health. <laughs> do you speak Polish then? I wish I did. Do you speak any Polish? Yeah, very little. So, yeah. so I was telling our dear friend Bernie Farber yesterday. I know one word in Polish. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's I uh, jeez, I don't even know it. It's it's, it's the word for match. Zapolki, Zapolki. Wow. And and here's here's the downside to knowing one word in Polish. You say it to a Polish person because you're really proud, right. and then they start talking in Polish. Exactly. And then you're screwed. But then you have to turn on the translator, so you better have an iPhone. Right. You're very modern, yeah. I and see. I'm, well, I'm very modern, but actually I'm so modern, I'm c contemplating a flip phone. I see people in Palo Alto with flip phones, and I think it's because of the addiction to iPhones, uh, so I agree smartphones, with that. and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go with a flip phone. Uh, yeah. Good thinking, good thinking. So I'm sure at this point in time, people are wanting, they're, they're going to want to know who you are. And of all the uh, 7 billion people in the world, why are you and I together today? Okay? So l let me just give sort of a, uh, a synopsis of who I think you are. And you tell me if this is correct. Um, you're a lovely human being, very generous of spirit. Shucks, thanks. You really are. You really are. I remember you're the type of person who brings soup to people, right? Just, like you. Yes, yes. We can revisit that if you want. Talk I about what to, we did together. I loved when you did that. Do you that. remember what we did together? What, what? When the Bosnians came? Well, what did we do? We brought them clothes. We brought them clothes. And curtains and overcoats. Yeah, yeah. They were coming from the hot spot when yeah. Bosnia was Bosnia. 
Yeah, you remember that. I do remember yeah, that. Yeah, right. And we did it against the uh, advice of an agency. Oh, who gives a shit? Really? Exactly. Right? right. We did what we had to do. Yeah, and yeah. my mom said, come on. I got lots of stuff in the house. I got stuff I've saved up right, from, right. The, from the Hadassah Bazaar. Come on, let's go bring them everything. Right, right. 36 I, families. I never forgot it. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. I haven't thought of that in years. Right. And a radio show host who was there and just people who wanted to be people and other people from another agency that will go nameless. Uh, starts decided, with a U. It starts with a, a J. Actually, All right. and they just wanted to treat these people like science projects, and like that was not our thing. Ethiopians as well, by the way. Yeah, Do you ever work with project. Ethiopians? I have friends who are Ethiopians. Yeah, I know, me too. Yeah, I had a girlfriend who was Ethiopian, oh. Lem Lem. Okay, we're not talking about my story, but <laughs> Lem Lem Tekla. I get that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're humans. Just humans. You know, she was with me on the night that my brother-in-law was murdered. Really? Yeah, and you know what she did? No. Because I hadn't interviewed, inter- introduced her to my family. Uh, you know, my family's Orthodox. My, my father, rest peace, was a rabbi. H- how do you introduce your Christian, you know, Ethiopian girlfriend to right. an Orthodox family? So we drove to the hospital, and she stayed in the car the entire night. Wow. Yeah, and when yeah. I came out, she was there, and we drove home. And uh, uh, she, uh, I'll never, you know how you never forget those moments? Yeah, I was in town. You I were here in Toronto? Seeing, I remember seeing all the cars at your brother-in-law's. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you have moments like that where you think of a friend who was just there at that very key moment that you need them? And even though you may not be close to them or see right. them at all, you just remember that instance. Sure, because I think we're travelers on this journey. Yeah. And, you know, you don't always get to sit next to them in the bus on the journey. Nicely said. So, so maybe we should call this the ADD hour. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> you don't mind, eh? Not at all. Not even for a minute. Uh, do you yeah. still say A even though you live in Teaneck, New Jersey? Sometimes. Well, I actually live in Englewood now, but yeah. I only say to be passive aggressive. So to show off that I'm not like you. I am from another place. Good so, for you. It, like what happens is people will uh, call me or I'll get robocalls from strangers. And now, you know, they do it. They, they dial in on your... Um, on your area code, so it looks like they're calling you. But if the number comes up and I don't know who it is, I know it's going to be a robocall for the election. Yes. And they'll call and they'll start hammering away. And I'll go, oh, I'm sorry, I'm Canadian. And right away they go, oh, sorry, sorry. And they'll get off the phone. I'll say, you can take me off the list now. Oh, okay. So this happens either uh, when there are people who want uh, uh, to have uh, you know, stuff signed or, or they're standing on street corners and they want to get votes. I'm like, no, I'm Canadian. Oh, okay. So, oh, sorry. And it just shuts down. So, so you kind of use your use Canadian it. citizenship. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, sometimes in yeah, a Yeah, I just fly, I fly the flag when it's time to fly the flag. Okay, yeah. fair enough. So let's go back to who you are. Okay. So you're a lovely, generous, a spirit human being. You're the child of Holocaust survivors. My uh, guest yesterday, Bernie, was as well. I've had a few on. And I was thinking to myself when I was setting up this interview, I seem to be moving that way. Why might that be? Why am I doing that? It could be because you're not. And because a lot of uh, children of Holocaust survivors have best friends who are not, who don't yeah. have that experience. Yeah. So my very best friend in life, Masha Ami, was a child of Canadian-born. Even though they were of Polish extraction, she was still Canadian-born. And for some reason, it was pointed out to me when they started to examine second-generation stuff. You know, they, one of the key questions was, are your close friends childs of, you know, children of survivors? Yes. So some of them are, yes. And then some of them aren't. So it could be that you're just uh, seeking to uh, get closer to that experience through other people. It's very possible. So in your mind, is the world divided into two? You're either a second generation or not? Uh, 
I mean, in some ways. Well, it's I a think, bit dramatic. I feel like right. I, so I feel like the second generation that is people who are the children of Holocaust survivors, no matter actually um, whether they're Jewish or whether they're gypsies, um, those that's the family. And then everybody else is sort of outside the family. And then you will, d- depending on what your bond is with them, you will cultivate them to train them on the ways, the care and feeding of being with somebody who is a child of survivors. I just got this overwhelming feeling of sheer warmth at being <laughs> at being with you. How long has it been? How long has it been since we've been together? Oh, my God. Like 10 years? More. It's got to be more easily. More than that? More. And we were pretty close. Yeah. And like nothing has changed. Yeah. You are exactly who you were and I'm who you're always going to be. Somewhat disheveled, right? Well, you know, you were, oh, okay. Mr. Glenn in grade three came up to me. He says, do you know what disheveled means? <laughs> and I said, no. He goes, well, you are. Wow. So as I grew, I started to understand that I'm, I'm kind of a mess. Well, but, but somewhat only of a con- to you, only to you, because the rest of the world sees like amazing hair thank and you. beautiful blue eyes. Th- thank you. Like and your father. Inquisitive. Yeah. So uh, I coined a phrase later on in life and an association, which is not true. I made this up, but it's called dishevelism. I'm the president. <laughs> dishevelism. <laughs> yeah. So you don't see yourself as being disheveled. No. So you're not only a client, but you're the president. <laughs> yeah, of nicely the said. Club? Yes. Yes. Dishevelism. Yeah, I should okay. do a commercial. So you're generous of spirit, you're second generation Holocaust. Uh, you are a community worker. Yes. Right. And you've been, you've done that for many years. Yes. I, I like the fact that you've been married three, three times. Thanks. Three times. You know anyone who's been married four times? Probably. Is that I a did. badge of any sorts or is it an embarrassment? No, it's neither. It's not, it just is what it is. It is what it is. It is what it is. I think your life experience and who you were supposed to love and how you were supposed to love them, the first man in your life, if you're, yeah, yeah. If you're a heterosexual woman, should the, that first love should have gone a certain way. And then there are certain things in the pathway that might have gotten messed up. In, in both of your parents. And so I think everybody loves in a different way. Right, right. So when you look at the three men you were married to, yeah. is the third one you were the most in love with or it just doesn't go like that? Marty was the bomb. He was the bomb. He was the bomb. The uh, Look, I love my second husband, like a first cousin, several something or others removed. He's my parenting partner. He always was. Yes. He was close with my third husband. Uh, and... We still have a bond, and it's around the kids. Once we determined that early on, that was it was all about the kids. Mm-hmm. And I have to tell you, I was a terrible marriage partner. Were you? First, yeah. Well, why was that? I just really didn't know what the heck I was doing. In all three? No, I would say it was, I got better with time. What was terrible Plus, about Marty you? Plus, Marty kicked my ass. What was terrible about you? Um, I think I wasn't prepared for all of the um, sharp corners and rough edges of marriage. Uh, in my first marriage, for sure not. I idealized. We were both young. We were musicians. The music was great. I didn't realize that there were a lot of other factors to calculate in when one gets married. I really didn't have a concept. Wait, of how that. did that play itself out? How did it come to fruition? Just did you close up? Did you close down? Yeah, I closed down. Yeah. A lot for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was pregnant, and I, I said, I just. There's something about this that is not, I'm not feeling that connection. The connection wasn't really there. And do you think now that Mar- Marty's died, he should rest in peace. Do you think if you had a, would you marry a fourth time? Absolutely. Uh, when, <laughs> <laughs> no question asked. No question asked. So you love being married. Yeah. What, what do you love about it? Knowing that you're in it to win it for life, that you're in the ultimate crapshoot with somebody, you don't know who's going to go first. And that, enables you to uh, feel life at a certain intensity 
to go through life together with a partner and really be on the adventure, knowing that everything at home is secure and stable and there's no drama and you're, you love each other and you just want to move through the world together. Yeah. So, so is that, is that romanticism? Probably. What else is it? Human nature. And stupid, maybe. <laughs> maybe, maybe, but, but you know, what is stupid? Stupid is crass. a degree. No, stupid is a degree of wisdom. Dumb is a whole other thing. Dumb and, um, you know, not, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? And dumber. Uh, yeah, and then there's another word I'm looking for. Just indifferent and apathetic. That's yeah. one set of circumstances. You know, if you're stupid, you're deliberately making a bad decision. It means you gave it some thought and you opted for something on the wisdom spectrum. Oh, okay, good, good, good. So stupid is a fine decision. At least you know you're jumping in with both feet, even if you have concrete shoes on. You're going for an adventure, and you know what the adventure so is going to be. So you're better now at marriage. You've, yeah. You perceive that your fourth marriage will be even better. Yeah. You're with a fella. Yeah. I like that were fella. Yeah. Would you get married to him? Yeah. Will he marry you? Oh, yeah. Oh, so are you getting married? I don't know. No, we're not allowed to talk about it until Yona's wedding is over. Yeah. When's Yona's wedding? New Year's Eve. December Coming. 31st? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. You've heard it here first, folks, on Hat <laughs> Shout Radio. Shout out, Yona and Pedro. Yeah. yeah. So you have two, you have Miriam and you have Yona. Miriam and Rowan and got Rowan. married. Yeah. And are happy and are in Toronto. So I'm happy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Miriam and, and, and Yona and Pedro are in Atlanta. And uh, Yona is working as a manager at Armani. And Pedro is working at CNN. I love your daughter, Miriam. Salt of the earth. Salt of the earth. Like she has your spirit. Right. She has your generosity. Right. And, and she, she is just a, a very open, brilliant person, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I will say that they will, I think they'll find this amusing. I hope, oh God, I hope I'm not embarrassing myself, that Miriam is the book smart one and Yon is the street st- smart and, one. And it works? Does it work? <laughs> yeah. But Miriam's also a little bit street smart. Yeah. Yeah. To get, accomplish what she's accomplished, both of them, they have to have a little bit of both. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. Were you okay that she married a non-Jew? Mary? Yeah, of course. No problem at all. No, not at all. Parents pa- being Holocaust survivors. No, not at all. And Pedro is also not Jewish. That I doesn't bother you at all. Not at all. When I taught them the birds and the bees, I said, "Listen, I don't care who your partner is going to be, because if you really go for it, you really want to believe the lore, then you can believe that uh, they have a Jewish mom, and you can marry for love. That frees you to marry for love." You know, like we used to sing uh, in the morning prayer, Shalom Asani Ish, that God didn't create me a man, you know, not Asani Kirtsono. The fact is, we can do whatever we want if you really want to go along with that. I, of course, am of the mindset that somewhere up there, every Saturday, God is trying to shout down, I said Wednesday, (laughs) Wednesday, mofos, Wednesday. So, you know. Okay, so let's backtrack and let's encapsulate everything we've said so far. Why are you on this show? You're a generous of spirit. You're a second generation Holocaust survivor. You were a community worker, par excellent, and still are. And I love my Avram Rosenzweig. And I love you too, dear. And um, you are a music person. Yeah. Like, uh, in some ways, if there was a graph in front of me and people say, okay, what's number one? Who's Linda number one? I mean, I would say you're a loving, loving person. I'm assuming motherhood is number one. Like, if you had to put down your guitars just to take care of your children, you would do that. Yeah. Yeah. You take a bullet for those kids, right? We all would. We all would. Right. Right. But in terms of music, I mean, this is something you've committed yourself to since, what, four years old? Yeah, music is the place where I live. So when you see me on a gig, you're you're coming into my house. Take off your shoes. 
Right, (laughs) right. And and that's why you're here in Toronto to be part of Winterfest with our dear friend, uh, Brian Gladstone. Yeah, Winterfolk. Is yeah. it called Winterfolk? Winterfolk. Winterfolk. So, so it's interesting because you, you you heard you saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan in the early '60s, right? At eight, Correct. At eight, and you used to go downstairs to your neighbors, walk straight into their apartment, which yeah. was always open. That's right. Play the guitar, and I love what you wrote in an article. It was written about you, perhaps, that you could barely get your little fingers That's around right. the neck. Yeah. What an adorable little image. And when I have students today who are seven, eight years old, and they can't quite get their hands around that neck, yeah. It just gives me the greatest joy that I am with a an adult in training who I'm I have the privilege of making a memory for that kid. Yes. Yeah. That's how I feel. I never look down, I never talk down to them. I don't imagine yeah, yeah. you talk down no, to anybody. No, 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 no cuz I love to know a person's spirit. And really when they're sitting at the guitar, that's when it I can see it. I can see who they are. Are you, are yeah. you good at listening their spirit bringing it out of them? Oh yeah. Yeah. Is there a little kid that you can think of that comes to mind that you've worked well with was was maybe a little bit closed, you know? Um, by the time they come to me for private lessons, they must want it pretty bad that they figured out a way to finagle out of their parents and negotiate mm-hmm. how to get this done. Mm-hmm. So I think when you at that point, when you have a musical student, you're dealing with a sophisticated kid. I think that piano teachers suffer more from having kids that don't really want to be there. Oh, why is that? Because, you know, you have to learn the piano. It's the basis of everything. So if you have a kid who just wants to play, I don't know. Uh, Fure de Lis. Guitar or bass, uh, they're going to go for a piano lesson first if the parent doesn't really know music. Oh, isn't that interesting? My son plays piano. You can see it over there. Yeah. Their keys are weighted, by the way. Right. Good. (laughs) Thank you. But he started with guitar and he just wasn't interested. He wasn't great at it. His hands might not have been big enough. I think that might have been the problem. Also, their brains, there's a lot of kind of, um, there's a lot of neurology and stuff that goes into making a musician. So, you know, when you're six, seven years old, your brain is just developing an idea of how to harmonize. Kids can't harmonize before then. Mm -hmm. So it could be easier for them to learn a scale with single notes rather than to sit down at the guitar and have to make chords where chords are, um, uh, you know, consist of various steps on the scale that when they blend together, create a sound that to the Western ear is very pleasing. They're, They're not aware of any of that. They just want to know scale, single notes. Because they're memorizing. And you can see all of this of which you speak right now. Yeah. Like in your head, it's very clear to you what music is. You know what music is? Yeah. What, what, what is music? Music is uh, unique to humans. It is a form. It's because it's one of the arts. It's a healing art. It's been around. We don't even know how long it's been around. It's one of the first art forms along with dance that was recorded. We don't really know much about music before the common practice era, which was about 300 years ago. So we have some ideas. So I have, I have a friend who's in town named Karina Marty. She's giving a middle, like a, um, like an early music presentation on the harpsichord tomorrow up to the, maybe the Renaissance. I think that's where she maxes out to her. That's the modern era. Mm-hmm. That's 500 years ago. Mm-hmm. And we don't have much re- that we know about music from before the 900s uh, because the music, the way it was written, changed. And there was this whole idea of the... Uh, and I'm holding up my hand to show you. Um, um, 
of, of music as the staff came from the five fingers and all the notes were contained in. And when kids were instructed in music and were singing in choruses, it was all devotional music. Yes. And the kids had to sing according to where the teacher or the conductor showed them to sing. And before that, when you're looking at ancient Greece, you're looking at um, the, um, oh God, uh, the doctrine of ethos where... Every scale, we don't really know what the scales were, what the frequencies were, and what the notes were. Yes. But they went from the highest to the lowest, and there was this notion of things called a monochord. And really, every note represented healing or devotion. Right, right. Or mourning. So so if you look at... Um, Christianity actually banned a note. Yeah, yeah well, the, the, uh, the tritone. It was the devil's it was, interval. Yes, it yeah, was considered you, you evil. Can read, right, you, you can read. I'm going to spare you. You can read it on, on. There's plenty of YouTube's about it that talk about the tritone. And actually, because I think like later on, in other music forms, you know, it became very pleasing and something that was used uh, quite a great deal. Today, we don't even think about it. It's just part of music. But back then, if you look at hieroglyphs from 5,000 years ago, mm -hmm. and you see professional mourners at the end of a procession, yes, uh, in you know, in a, in the tomb of a pharaoh, then what you're actually seeing is people that were trained in music to perform that music, the message of which was, and now you will be sad. We have that today in, in modern music in the West where a major scale with mm -hmm. a raised third is a happy is a happy sound. Yes. Whereas a minor, yeah, minor, is minor chords are sad. sad. Yes. In the West, in the West. But if you listen to Jewish music, the minor very often is considered very happy. Oh, is it? Sure. That would be our people, so, eh? So, Nagila and all these other very happy songs, you'll always hear a minor in there. Uh, in all of our liturgy, oh. you'll hear a minor, and it's devotional, and supposed to be uplifting and joyful. What, and does, that, what does that say, Linda? Uh, that, that, that Jews consider minor chords and notes to be uplifting. That we're not really a Western people, or No, I know it says morphed. that, but what does it say about our brain? It's impossible to know. It's impossible to know. No, maybe that we see sadness and happiness. But, but we're only perceiving. But we're, but I would be careful not to perceive a, a raised third as something happy. That's just something that was marketed to us. Okay. The same way that we have to prefer Coke over Pepsi, for no reason. If you try cherry Coke, <laughs> yeah, that's shit. I don't know what they're doing. Coke always makes a mistake every few years. They come up every with this. Few years, yeah. They make you, a mistake. Like the, By the way, can I see your hand again? You you have young hands. Do you remember that song, Grandma's Hands? So not so much. You know, you have young hands. They're, like you're hitting 60, right? Yeah. You're 59. Yeah. So I'm 58. Right. And and how do my hands look? Young. Also young, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Not like wrinkly and sort of. Do you ever look at your friend's hands? You don't say anything? You don't say anything? I look at anything? everybody's hands. Listen. I do too. Before, before I decided on my current guy, I looked down. <laughs> Looked at the hands. You man. did, did you? It's all about the hands. How does his hand? How what his hands beautiful. look like? Beautiful. Are they beautiful, beautiful hands? Beautiful. Like hands. describe his hands. They're just perfect. That's all. Just, uh, are they long fingers, short yeah, fingers? Yeah, they're, they're they're capable of anything. I'm always on the lookout for stubby fingers, short thumb. Like what's going on? Is there something? <laughs> was did something break? Are your nails okay? Yeah. 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 Good what about go. feet? What about feet? I didn't actually pay that much attention. Like, do you know his feet? Can you see them in your head? Yeah. Yeah, they're perfect. They're like his hands. Are they really? Yeah, yeah. You see, that's a blessing. Yeah. Because some feet, honestly, and no offense to any listener, right. they're hideous. I don't know what happens to feet. I think what happens is it's, it has to do with your mobility. And your, your how genetics. far you walk. 
Yeah. And I think all of that stuff, like if you have bad mobility, then already you may be programmed to think that you have bad mobility and you've already labeled yourself. Okay. And it's, I don't really think that's fair because I know plenty of people that can't walk and are like amazing, mm-hmm. amazing mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then we know people, Miriam and I were just commenting, we were in New York City recently for David Amram's 88th birthday. And I had the blessing of sitting next to Malachi McCourt. Who shows up with his walker and his whole family? Who, who, I'm Malachi sorry. McCourt is a writer and a politician and owned a bar in New York for many years. Was part of the Beat Generation yeah. in New York. He was born in Brooklyn. He went back to Ireland with his family. Frank McCourt, who wrote Angela's Ashes, was his brother, and he came back to the States with this Irish brogue, even though he's born in Brooklyn. And he gets up and speaks, and you just can't stop listening. He's an amazing guy. He's erudite. Unbelievable, with a walker. Yeah. But if you listen to him, he's so robust and amazing yeah. that he sort of transcends what God gave him physically. And the whole family got screwed over on that deal. All you have to do is read Angela's Ashes, and you'll hear the whole story. Hey, when you come back to Toronto, do you feel like we're country bumpkins at all? No, not for a minute. No, you Let don't. Me, I just want to finish, go back to one point. Okay, go, We're go, at go David back. Amram's 88th birthday right, right, party. Right, that story, And yes. he, sits, he sits under the piano, and he's ripping it on the piano. He's crushing, and he's killing it, and he's got this amazing band with him, and all these people came out. And John Ventimiglia, who was in The Sopranos and played the role of Artie Bucco, the restaurateur, yeah. who I've read with before, Artie was, you know, Artie, uh, uh, John was there and he did a reading from um, On the Road um, by Jack Kerouac. Yeah. And then David sits down and he's playing and he's performing and he's really killing and he's 88 and he turns around and he's wearing these running shoes and these jeans and he has a tight ass and unbelievable hands. Mm-hmm. And Miriam and I just look at each other like, this can't be, this is not real. He's a sexually attractive guy uh, at 88 he? years old. Yeah, no, And it was that. David Amor was 88 on the 88s, okay, on the piano on key. The piano. And he is unbelievable. So there are people that, you know, should be grateful and are grateful and use their gifts well into their 80s. Yeah, yeah. So I'll tell you an interesting thing in that light. Uh, I interviewed Kitty Cohen, Kitty Leah Cohen. I think she was my third interview. She was 106 years old. Right. Two weeks after I interviewed her, she died in Jamaica. Right. She went to her son's <laughs> resor- <laughs> resort, which was fascinating. She was, It was sort of like, you know, maybe, Kitty, you shouldn't go there, right? Said, no, no, I live life every right. day, and I grow every day, and I'm going to go to the resort if I, I want. I heard that interview. And, it, did, oh, right. and I met her. I met her on her, I think it was her 101st birthday yeah, at yeah. Baycrest in the art room. Yes. So I have to I have yeah. to tell you, Lynn, and you might think this is bizarre or weird. That was a very sexy woman. Yeah. At 106 years old. Yeah. You know, some people would see the wrinkles, and that's fine, right? right? So this was a girl with tremendous mojo. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Like an absolute anomaly. Yeah. Like I saw her a few months ago when I was in Toronto. I took a picture of her and her daughter and her, their friends. They Bernie. were in United Bakers. And... Just she still had that mojo she going really, on, where did. you just want to know. It's like she had a secret, and you wanted to know right. the secret. Right, 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 exactly. Right. Nice, nice way to describe yeah. the interview, which is what you told me when we were uh, uh, texting one another. Right. While watch, while listening to while it listening together. To her, right. Yeah. Together, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 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 Lynn. So, you were born in Toronto. Right. Your father was a survivor yes. of the Holocaust. Yeah. He was in Auschwitz, yeah. right? Uh, your mother was in a labor camp. My mother was in Siberia. She was in. Siberia. Different experience, yeah. Didn't I, consider herself a survivor. Oh, Did wh- not why? Cons- because why? 
you know, Jewish kids really were invited into the Soviet Union to be part of the pioneering spirit of the communists. But Siberia? Yeah. No, so but... they brought them to do mining and all kinds of stuff. She was too young to work. She was like 14. So they put her in a metallurgical institute in Leninogorsk. And she stuck with it and went to school, you know. And, and the government was kind of creepy and weird. And what happened was... Um, there came a time when they were putting people, rounding them up and putting them in the gulags for yes. whatever politically motivated reasons. So her brother, with whom she went to Siberia, ended up in a gulag. And he actually died of tuberculosis mm -hmm. uh, because my mom's friend, because when he was released from the gulag and he was really sick and he was turned in by a Jewish guy. You know, look at him. He's a, he's an informant, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, so hard to understand, isn't it? Uh, the whole thing is hard to understand, yeah. but it is what it is. It's politics. Every day it was a different story. Mm -hmm. So he ended up dying on the back porch of my mother's friend's apartment in Leninogorsk. My mother never forgave this woman. This woman ended up living in Israel in Rishon Lezion with other friends that were there from that Siberian experience. My mother never spoke to that woman. Really? She hated her. Did she? Oh, yeah, like poison. Well, she held her responsible yeah, for Yeah, she held her responsible, yeah. So my mother took two days off or a day off to bury her brother in a potter's field, and for that, she ended up in a gulag. Man, alive. You wrote, uh, in one of the articles that I read, you wrote that like that your parents went through this insanity. Yeah. And that <laughs> it was your job to clean clean up the drama, right? Right. So that, that's part of your mother's right. uh, insanity. Yeah. Your father's yeah. insanity. Yeah. I, hold was, on one, hold on yeah. for a second. I just want to also give a shout out to the Azrieli Foundation, and particularly to Naomi Azrieli, uh, who received my manuscript. Thanks very, really in great part to Miriam Piltz-Levine, yes. uh, who recommended that I give the uh, material, my mother's manuscripts, to Naomi, who was announcing the uh, Holocaust Memorial uh, Holocaust Survivor series, yes. and that made the second edition. Oh. My mom's book is called Album of My Life. Oh, congratulations! Thanks. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, uh, Naomi's whole, lovely. Yeah, she's, she's lovely. She's unbelievable. She's so, a very yeah. special woman. And yes. the people in Toronto, I just I cannot tell you how indebted I am to my hometown community for the blessings that they have given me. So the book is out and is available. It was translated into French. I get letters, uh, like fan mail, from students in Senegal who studied my mother's book in school. Wow. So really huge props to Ezrieli and special thanks to Miriam Piltz-Levine for really urging me to do this. Okay, good shout out. After my mom died. Miriam yeah, and, and Naomi. And, memori and so the, uh, the memoir is available through Ezrieli. Right, so moving forward, let's move back yeah. for a moment. Uh, I asked you before if you feel like we're country bumpkins when you come to town. And the reason I ask you that is because, you know, you're, you're, you're telling us all these individuals whom you saw at various different theater events, and you're talking about authors and books that have been written and so on. And it seems to me that's sort of a certain genre that exists in New York or New Jersey or what have you, but doesn't really exist here in Canada. Like far and few between where you'd be sitting around United Dairies and somebody will start talking about Kant, you know, or about some r recent books that have been written or theater that that's happening downtown. It just, we're not, we're not, I wouldn't say we're a cultural uh, bastion, you know, whereas New York City, you can't help but be, right? So let me tell you how that works. Yeah, tell me. Those people are studying us because we're the living remnant in many ways. We were a generation uh, behind them. 
in many ways. So you have people there who are Jewish and culturally Jewish and identify and have this great feeling of preserving memory, but they don't have the memory because they're a generation behind. They're already two generations, three generations or more Americans. Plus the assimilation into the American culture is way vastly different than our insistence of on preserving what we have here. So we're completely operating on a different playing field here, a different frequency. They're studying us. They're scrutinizing us. Wait, wait, I'm They're sorry. They're interrogating who, who, us. Who is studying us? American Jewish academia. Oh, okay. And we are doing what? We're the subjects of their, of their uh, critical eye because we're still existing in that world where we're still eating kreplach and, <laughs> and blintzes. Right, and, and rice they're pudding. Just not, and they're eating oysters and lobster. And even though we may do that here, we're still eating blintzes and kreplach. Yes, very often. They, yeah, in a way that they're not, you know. Yeah, like I will make those delicacies for my friends yeah. because they don't have anybody to make, because their booby used to make that, and they don't have anybody to do that anymore. So, so, so do you have your feet in sort of both rivers? Yes, yeah. Okay. I'm making those things for people who are older than me. Yeah. Mundelbroit. I just made a batch of Mundelbroit for somebody in her 80s <laughs> because she's not doing it, but she remembers that her mother used to do it. Do you have chocolate in it, your Mundelbroit? Yes. I love chocolate yeah. Mundelbroit. Yeah. And it depends what's in the house. So I'll, I'll crush up chocolate bars and throw it in. Uh, coconut shavings, um, all nut, uh, I should say uh, almond extract, almonds, uh, cranberries. Uh, delightful, delightful. Yeah. Then there's, then there's your father. Right. And your father went through Auschwitz. Yeah. Later on, he was a boxer. Right. Right. Well, before before Auschwitz, he was a boxer. And he stopped because he broke some kid's jaw. Exactly. Right. 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 So it's kind of interesting what you said. You said that your father really never dabbled in anger management. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. He was well, well what, acquainted with anger man management. What, what did you mean by that? My father was, my father, I think, was probably healthier for it. But when, you know, when he raged about something, he raged about something yeah. and he really got it all out. And then it was over. Oh, although there was a grudge for maybe six months and then it was over. <laughs> <laughs> it only took six months. Yeah, exactly. Were you, were, were you afraid, were you afraid that you would, uh, would become that way? Uh, was I afraid? I think I am like him except without the anger. Yeah. Yeah. You're not angry at all? No, I think my form of anger is comedy and humor. Right. I love to laugh, and I love a good laugh, and nothing makes me happier than having a good laugh with my kids. Yes. That's the greatest. So one thing I was thinking about before we met today is that I remember you sort of in a constant state of smiles. Yeah. And, and it, that is an internal thing. Right, yeah. So, now so it's not a veneer. No, I have to give a shout out to Suzette Lane, who is now uh, living in Washington, D.C. Suzette's Aunt Vivian uh, plays in the Scrabble Club here. She's... Is she 90 already? She might even be I 90 think she already. Is, yes. Yeah, Vivian. Yeah. And Vivian had a brother who we called Uncle Ray, Ray Jessel. And Ray Jessel was a comedy writer and had an album called The First 70 Years, which was our favorite thing that he ever did. I saw him perform in New York City at Don't Tell Mama. He had a cabaret act. Mm -hmm. And his niece, Suzette, my best friend, like in grade three, grade four, when we discovered each other, this girl and her brother, David, were just the funniest people I knew. And to this day, nobody makes me laugh like these people. Oh, really? Yeah. And, you know, they used to have these comedy sketches and routines. And we still 
do a lot of this stuff and we just still kill ourselves laughing from do, all do you do you still laugh your head off where you can't stop yes. and it's too much yes. and you say to yourself yeah. or the person you're with stop yeah. please i can't take this no i never say stop please i'm like bring it bring it <laughs> so my buddy moish posner yeah. do you know the posners no so this is a dear friend of mine uh he and i laugh like no other and 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 there's sometimes it comes to a point where i feel like my guts are going to pour out of right. me because it's such an effervescent laugh right that's and, right and you walk away from those times and even when things are going badly we right. have the ability to laugh our heads off his father passed away and he called me uh from the funeral home and he was whistling as his father used to whistle oh wow jeez just like that yeah and i and i've told him for years and we laughed about it you know and i told him for years i said moish you know what you have this inimitable spirit right have you ever dated someone you ever been with somebody you can't make them laugh it's the worst thing in the world. Yeah, it makes you try really hard. So try really hard. Sharpen your skill, but then eventually you got to fold your hand and walk away from the table. It's too much. It's too much. Right? It's too much. Like, I can tell you with Suzette, when I think of Suzette, yeah. other than the things I can't say on the radio and I barely can say in public that, that went on with us, so I'm sure that Suzette Lane Tannen is sitting home listening to this and laughing and laughing. I remember that something she must have gotten from Uncle Ray when he was younger uh, were like these... Um, um, like these acronyms from airlines. So, <laughs> so there was a uh, Sabina Airlines, which I'm sure nobody remembers. But his thing was such a bad experience, never again. And then El Al was every landing always late, and she would just run right, off right. a whole bunch of these. I've heard that. Yeah, and then we she would get started, but just never stopped laughing. Just never, never, never stopped laughing. So it's a great person to have in life. By yeah. the way, you, you know what I find very interesting about you? You're very earthy. Uh, you're very much part of this moment, but you also, Lady, I see this in Lady Gaga too. You have this tremendous sense of commercialism. Like, in other words, you do a good thing. You shout right. out to people in your life sure. who you just know you're going to make feel better. Yeah. Right. And I'm assuming that when it comes to uh, your music, you're the music director of the Palisades All Star Review. We'll talk about that shortly. Okay. You probably know how to spin that really well, don't you? Yeah, we're You say on thank it. you to the right people. Yeah, yeah, you have to always. You have I to agree. always. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I agree. But not everybody's talented in that area. No, no. So so Lynn, so you have these two parents, right? And and both of them went through tremendous trauma. Yeah. yeah? And let's be honest here, they really didn't get along. Right. Right. You've written articles. <laughs> you can say that out loud. <laughs> yeah, I know, because you've written articles about right. it. I was, uh, I'm always a little bit, well, I'm really not that hesitant, but I try to couch terms sometimes because I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But they didn't really like each other. No. Right? So you had two parents who didn't like each other. What, what, when did you discover that? Very early on because he was screaming a lot in the house. Like, and a kid yeah. knows, by the way, a kid knows. I know this now from my experience. A kid knows when people are screaming at each other and it's your parents that something's not right there. Right. They know. Right. Kids have an amazing sort of barometer. Their needle points north, and they know when things aren't right. And I would listen to them, and I would even come into the kitchen or wherever they were and just yell at them. And would say, you? Stop yelling. Stop yelling. Would yeah. they listen? No. Would you leave the house? No, I was too young. How old are we speaking? Oh, gosh. I knew already by the time I was maybe five, six years old. Oh, really? You oh, were yeah. five or six years yeah, old? Yeah, so never underestimate a human in, in you know an adult in training who's five or six because they are the best recording and reporting device ever invented they're recording everything and later on they're going to report on it so so was there also a point where you realized i am not going to take 
the whole concept of love, how one is supposed to express it from my parents. And I realized that there are other people that I can uh, emulate or that can be my role models when it comes to love. Yeah. Like, when did you pick up on the idea? Like, you're a very loving person. I am. You're huggy, right? That's my revenge. <laughs> is that what it That's is? my revenge. So it's rooted Laughter, in... Loving. It's your revenge. Giving people a chance. No, you be ser- are you being serious? Yeah. Revenge trying, against against trying, whom? Trying to go into the worst of situations and come out non-judgmental and let people be who they really are. Revenge against whom? People that maybe have wronged you or me, you know, people that have done stuff maybe on purpose, you know, Dafka on purpose, but maybe in the moment that they were doing it, I don't know what their journey was. And there must have been a reason because life is very simple and uncomplicated. Right. When things appear really complicated, there's usually a motivation why it's going like that. And they just don't want you to really know. But if you zoom back, you can see something was going on and you just got to give them a pass because one day you might need the pass too. And you might need to know how to navigate all that. And you won't if you act in anger. You're just never going to know. So you're not still looking for your parents' love even though they passed away? No. And you forgive them? Yeah. I put them in a frame and I hung them up on the wall and I love looking at them. Do you? Yeah. Do you? Absolutely. How did you manage to forgive them? Um, I think organically. That's just how I was programmed. I was an only child. I didn't have anybody else. So even when it came time for end-of-life stuff, you know, I was on my own to make decisions. And I knew, Linda, how much swearing can I do? You swear to your heart's content. Linda, you fucking well better know what you're doing because you have to live with yourself, God willing, for a long time yeah. after you make these decisions, make the right decisions. And and put your head down on the pillow at night and know that your kids are watching. Those magnificent recording devices that are looking at you are going to do whatever it is that you're doing now. Yeah. So fucking A better do the right thing. So will you allow yourself to be coddled, even though your parents didn't coddle you? Coddled? Held. Loved. Will you put your head on someone's shoulder and cry? Will you give in? Will you give in? Will you give up? I have a fair amount of bravado, uh, which protects me. And I do stay in the ivory tower. And even my most beloved husband, Marty, knew that. And you say, why are you up in the ivory tower all the time? You have a lot of bravado. Yeah. And I didn't even realize I was doing it. I think I'm getting better. Uh, but at the end of the day, I will find somebody in my backstage life um, that I can just kind of let loose with. And that's why I like to have a yoke mate. And that's it's a good word in Scrabble, by the way. Compound word is an eight. And that's the Kitty why, played Scrabble, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. We talked yeah, about it. Yeah. 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 That's why I like to, um, I like to be married I like to have that ultimate intimacy, life or death intimacy feeling. Uh, it just gives me a great deal of comfort to know I can be backstage and and fold up the Linda Krar that I am, the way Janice Joplin used to say, put it in a box at the foot of her bed yes. and then be who she was and then wake up in the morning and then put Janice Joplin back on and then go out and face the world. Right, Yeah. right. Do you see your, uh, Janice Joplin through, in you? Or? No, but I thought it was a very brilliant little schniblet so so you meet your first husband right yeah. did you feel as though you had to warn him a bit about yourself no not at all about your background no, uh-uh. did he meet your parents uh yeah how did that sure. go do you remember how that went i think he was just overwhelmed with canada 
How so? How does one get hard. overwhelmed? I think it's when you're in the bubble in the United States, yeah. it's, it's, it's a, mind, a real mind blower. <laughs> when you come up here and everybody's so laid back and unassuming and I see say that. how it is and not big flag wavers and don't really talk about politics in public, you know? Yeah. yeah, I see that. I see that. We have family from New York, uh, from Manhattan, quite affluent people. And they came here where they thought we were bumpkins, uh-huh. right? But eventually what happened was they started to recognize that we're very actually very sweet people. Right. Yeah, we're very loving. We're very open. Right. And we started to kind of take care of them in the right. way that Canadians do, yeah, yeah. right? And, what and ha- you they know started what happens, to chill. Right. So what happens is halfway through the hump of their trip, yeah. and they're sort of coming up to the, the apex and they're just starting to go down the other side, they, so, there's a switch flips and they go, Hey, not so bad. You're right. And then suddenly they're right. planning their next trip. That's exactly go, what oh, happened. You got, you got real quality quality of life here. What? Thursday is the new Friday? What? <laughs> yeah, we're in. What? You have one one long weekend every month? Right. What? But what do you do? Do you you do you work at home? Like, no, we're out with our families or yeah, smoking a little doobie and getting drunk a little bit, having a good time, going to see concerts. What wait, 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 you can't talk like that. Right. You know? So there's a, there's that kind of puritanical um, uh, uh, I want to call it a hangnail that they have. That once you clip it away, they're good again. Do you like uh, New Jersey? Yeah, you do like it. I do. And you like the people? Yeah. Is it different than New York? Yeah, and I was proud of Sopranos. It's totally. <laughs> it, it, that's how it is. Is that how it is? Sometimes. Well, it, well, it's a dramatized version uh, of of how it is. But New Jersey has uh, one side. It's like Israel. Only with the ocean on the other side. Mm-hmm. So it has all the way down the most beautiful beachfront. It has beautiful access to the Hudson River. It is just gorgeous. Great music. Great music. It's so own little music scene. Everywhere you go, it's different. And I think like Newton, listen, I also love Rockland County, New York. And that's where my guy lives. And that's where I spent the last few years making music and more recently making a lot of music with those people it's really my second home and everywhere you go you find enclaves of amazingly talented people that's true and then lo and behold what did i really discover when i zoomed back it's our generation steve jobs invented the ipod for us Mm -hmm. because music means more to us than anything Mm -hmm. why i don't know vietnam I don't know. There's some compelling thing, counterculture thing, that for our generation that's now getting into the AARP, into the retirement, the baby boomers age, that we love music in a way that's just different. And that I get together with a group of people, everybody's 50 plus, and we love to get together. We'll do it two, three times a week. And then we do our gigs. And we communicate through the music even if we don't have a conversation all night long we are having a conversation and it's through the instrument and the vessel of music so in your first marriage music was a big deal yeah and when the marriage broke up did that affect your music at all uh not so much because i i sort of became a mother in that window yeah and motherhood kind of uh replaced the music Although the feeling was the same. Uh, yeah. Uh. And then I went back to the music as soon as, well, I always sort of had it around because then there were birthday parties and I started playing at the birthday parties. Yeah. And then other things happened. And then eventually when the kids were just old enough that you could have a sort of intellectual conversation with them, like when Yona turned three, four, I started feeling myself 
gravitating more to go back to music and having more of an active music life and taking students. So it kind of morphed out of me just doing performance, which I think you max out when you're about 35, right. maybe even 40. You max out. And for some moms, they max out a little earlier because mm-hmm. you, you don't have the bandwidth to do parenting of a child that requires all your attention. No matter what you say, right. that's true. And then music, which requires almost all of your mental uh, attention also, you know, on some, on some levels. So I know you're a great musician. Were, were you a, a great mom? Yeah, I think so. W- what made you a great mom? The fact that I put the guitar down. Yeah, yeah, but tell me more. Like you were with your kids. What was yeah. great about you? I just, I loved the idea that we were having a party with these people who never left. <laughs> right. It was a party. Oh, yeah. They were the guests and they, they always the stayed. They, yeah. they just stayed and it was great. Yeah. Were yeah. you fun? Were you upbeat? Were you interesting? I think most of the time. And then I started going back to work and then work sort of took over some of my brain. But I think that was an imprint from my mom, who my mother went to work after I was three, went back to work. So I was raised by nannies. You know, I had I always had a babysitter in the house. We didn't call them nannies. Babysitter. Mm-hmm. You know, we had Mrs. Mitchell from Scotland. From Scotland, then. I and my mother, my mother, she interviewed her. And I remember at the end of the interview, my mother used to talk about this for years. She said, well, well, Mrs. Mitchell, well, it sounds pretty good. You know, uh, Mrs. Mitchell said, well, Mrs. Shedletsky, I've got one question for you. And I said, okay, sure, shoot. She goes, are you Jewish? And in that moment, my mother saw the phoenix rising up from the ashes of the Holocaust and all the generations of the Jews who have suffered. And now this Scottish woman is asking my mother, she has the nerve to ask her, are you Jewish? And my mother said, yes, I'm Jewish. Yes, I am Jewish. Is that going to be a problem for you? Yeah. And Mrs. Mitchell says, no, I just wanted to know I'm Jewish too. Is that what she said? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I love that story. I'm, I'm Jewish too. I'm Jewish yeah. too. Yeah, I'm always can fa- tell you that story, but even better than me. I'm always fascinated when I meet someone. I know them for a while, sometimes a long while. Yeah. And and the Jewish thing never comes up mm-hmm. at all mm-hmm. because with me it does all the time, right? right? But some people don't don't connect to it whatsoever, right. especially Jews in like Los Angeles, you know. Yeah, well, it's different there. Like Los Angeles, why? Because they don't t- talk about it in Israel either. No, and they don't. In in Los Angeles, you might as well be in Israel. You might as it's well. The same. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in many ways, in many ways, it's considered the same. And, uh, I think there were even published papers by by uh, people in psychiatry who address that that they have patients that are in Los Angeles, and the mindset's very much the same. It has a lot to do with the weather and the light. Oh, is that what it is? They say. I assume that might be the case. Yes, yeah. yes. So, so I just, I just want to move forward here. So, after you and your first husband broke up, you uh, eventually met a fellow by the name of Seamus McGraw. Yes, I love that name. Yeah, and I've met Seamus. Yes, right. And right. he is very much who you think he would be. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He was a beat writer, and yeah. I think an investigative writer. Yeah. Journalist. Journalist. Yeah. He wrote about crime. He wrote about Page crime. One. Crime writer for the uh, uh, for the Bergen Record, which is part of the NJ.com, Northern New Jersey newspaper group. Yeah. And eventually for the Times, right? New York no. Times? Well, once in a while, he wrote. gives his wife, his, his wonderful wife, who's a magnificent person, uh, is, her name is Karen Phillips. She is an editor. She's uh, an editor at the New York Times. Yeah, yeah. Is it hard to see... Him with a new wife? No. On any level? No. I was so happy. So you were. happy. Yeah. You were. Yeah. Okay. I, I pray for both of their health and long life. What it, was the marriage to Seamus like? Intense. Oh, I so. think it was just too, it was a little bit matter and antimatter and just a lot of uh, 
you know, a lot explosions. Of explosions. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just think that I was not a good, I was not a good partner. And, and how was he? I, he was better than me. Pretty sure. Yeah. At that moment in my life, for some reason, I wasn't so good. But you got better. I, I think I got better. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And do you have regrets about that? Do you look back and say, Sure. Oh, I just wish, I wish I would have been. Sometimes I hear from people, they have no regrets. And I quite, I don't understand that. How could you not have regrets in life? Yeah, I think in the moment when you're going through the rough time, but at the end of the day, you, you know, you're all hardwired to uh, move forward in your life. So when I look back and I see photos from his wedding, from my wedding, I notice the kids are wearing the same clothes to both weddings. Oh, really? Yeah. So I knew everything was okay. It happened in the right time frame and that we all stayed friends and I'm still quite close to the extent they want to be close with me and I'm grateful for it. Yeah. And I'm close with his family. So they weren't angry with you? Yeah, I think for a while. Oh, they yeah, were? Yeah. Angry yeah. that what? You know, that I, I sort of hurt their, their, their yeah. loved one. Yeah. 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 So I've been there too. Yeah. yeah. You feel awful about it, you don't do you? You do feel awful and I know that he is so much, in, so much in a better place with his wife now, with yeah. Karen. Yeah, and you're fine with that. Oh my God, yeah. He's Grateful. an amazing father, isn't he? Yeah, he's an amazing father. He is. I remember seeing him with Miriam. He was yeah. outstanding. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he's also a character. So the kids have <laughs> he had really, he really interesting, is. interesting parents. And then Yona has a thing that she calls all these other parents bonus parents. <laughs> What's, oh yeah, okay, you know? yeah. yeah, yeah, which yeah. is cool, right? She just said that to me the other day, and I was like, yeah. So bonus parents. It's true. We live in very interesting times. And I was thinking about that prior to the interview. Uh, you and I had parents. End of story. Right. They stayed together <laughs> right. forever. Well, that was just the idea. You didn't split up, right? Right. No matter how shitty it got, you stayed right. together. Your parents you didn't even talk. Stayed together. You were not allowed to get divorced. Right. You, you weren't, weren't getting divorced. You no. were su survived the Holocaust. You are not getting divorced. Exactly. Exactly. Right. You stayed together right. come hell or high right. water, right? So, yeah. So, so there's a... And now look where we are now. Right. right. So there's a very famous psychologist. You can see her on uh, on YouTube named Esther Perel. Okay. And she talks about going from soulmates to cellmates. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I love yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And it's so, very, very true, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it's very true. Yeah. 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 She's yeah. worth checking out. Yeah. So, so would it be correct to say that the kicker here was Marty Krar? Yeah. Was he like the the apex of yeah. all of your love? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just everything fell away and came together when he came into my life. Because yeah. like Marty, is, Marty, bless, he should rest in peace. He was a huge man, wasn't he? Yeah. He was, well, he was a, big a giant. He was a, he was a Jewish leader. Tell us what he did. So Marty Krar was Enjoy the water. Thank you. Thank you so much. He was born in that interesting period, like, uh, I guess, uh, between Vietnam War and uh, the Korean War. So he was born in 41. So he had the ability to keep going to school and getting degrees. So he got a degree. He got an MSW. He got an MBA. And he really was on his way to, to doing a, a PhD. And his area of, spe of specialty was kids on the spectrum. It was a new thing then, kids on the spectrum. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So he had all these skills. He was a crack businessman and a great social worker. So he his first job in in uh well in Jackson, Mississippi was to run a 96 bed facility called Caritas. Yeah. And it was really for a lot of Jewish kids. It was it had been uh an army base, 96 beds. And then it became a facility for kids who needed to drop out of life because they were all on LSD at that time. Oh, there was wow. a lot of 
a lot of Jewish kids from good families in the, I, I just want to say in the southern states, I don't give too much away. And got to protect some people. That yeah, love, yeah, for okay? sure. Yeah. So he went there and he ran this facility, did a great job. And one day, a member of the, one of the communities in Tennessee said, listen, why don't you come and run our Jewish community center? And he started his career and he went to, I can't remember, did he go to Nashville first? Yeah, he went to Nashville first and he ran the JCC. And then he ran the Jewish Federation there. Yes. Then he went to Memphis, and he did the same. And then he got into the system, and he ended up going to uh, St. Louis, and then to Detroit. It's one of the most affluent communities in North America. Yes, it is. And from there, he was catapulted into the National Council of Jewish Federations, was invited to be their executive uh, vice president. Wow. And so he used all the skills that he had to create endowment funds everywhere he went, to build buildings everywhere he went, to create community and do wonderful things and create infrastructures. And people were loyal to him. His big thing, two things for him were, were absolutely the ultimate. One was loyalty yeah. and the other was integrity. So if you had those two qualities, if you didn't and you, were, you had the goods, he was going to teach you those two things and mentor you on what those meant. Wow. All he could do was impart his wisdom. He couldn't train people to be that way. But basically, you know, he had long, long standing relationships with staff people who followed him to, to many other places. Well, and what was he like to be married to? Oh, God. Well, he was that way also. Was, was he? <laughs> he? Sometimes, you know, look, he was, he had his, we had our private life. Our private life was very different from the public life. But we definitely had a sense of public life and private life. Well, you and tell I, us the difference. The difference is at home you let your hair down. You're Janis Joplin after you take Janis Joplin off and put it in the box by the foot of the bed. Right. And you can be totally different. We played Scrabble. We played with the kids. We took the kids out. We went to movies. We ate at home. We went out. We were totally low-key. So much so that at the Shiva after Marty died and people came over to the house because they thought we needed a minion. Well, we didn't because the whole Jewish theological seminary, including the, the chancellor, would come by wow. with kids and the house was full. And I didn't set a deadline. I said, people can come as early as they want and stay as late as they want. People were coming at 7 o'clock in the morning. People were leaving at 2 o'clock in the morning or having interesting conversations, very much in the spirit of Marty. So the neighbors would come because Nebuch, you know, they thought we needed a minion. And they would come into the house and they'd say, I'm sorry, isn't that so-and-so who runs this major organization in New York? Isn't that? And I'd say, yeah. Well, who did you think? You know, what did you think? Yeah. Well, because well, Marty used to shovel our walk. Well, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. So we had a lot of that. I love people like that. Yeah, yeah. So, and that's how it was. And so how old, how, old you, how old was he when he passed? 69. How old were you? Uh, 51. Were you a widow? Did you see yourself as such? No, 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 no. Because? I hate the label. I can't stand so, it. It, 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 it kind of has a nuanced implication that you poor, pitiful creature, now you have nothing and you're nobody. Right, and you'll be wearing black the rest of your life. That's a whole heap of bullshit. Right, okay. So how were you when he passed? Uh, mm, well, I had to take care of legal things. I had to take care of financial things. I had to take care of his kids. I had to take care of my kids. I tried to make sure that everybody was going to be okay. I dealt with the estate. I dealt with the house. I didn't really have a minute to chill and go, oh my God, woe was me, because woe was me was going to meetings and, and just fighting for the life of, of the estate and the kids and just making sure everybody was all right. 
I remember very shortly thereafter when the, uh, when the, I guess the lease company came and took away his car and put it up on the hoist and took the thing away. And mm-hmm. that was a killer. Because? That was a killer because it represented, you know, your car is your identity, right? Yeah. Even my mom, even my mom, I, you know, we kept the car because I just wanted her to be able to look at it and know that her horse was healthy. Yes. Her horse was in the driveway. And same thing with Marty. So Marty's car was out there. And then when they took the car away, I really felt his loss. That was sort of the proof that life was changing and life was going to be radically different. Yeah, those are wild, those moments. My mother kept my father's license plates on her car many, many, many years after he had passed. And then when my mother died, she gave the car to my nephew. Okay. um, And they took the plates off, and that was the end of that. And yeah, we mourn differently at different times. And strangely enough, it might have to do with license plates. Well, because there's a bond. This, you know, you yeah, you knew, magnets, like I knew my dad for right, those license plates, right? right? You, you put two magnets together, right? And they look like they're touching. You, know, you put two hands together, they look like they're touching. The fact of the matter is, if you put everything under a super microscope, yeah. you're going to see that no, nothing is touching. No molecules are actually touching. They're, they're bonded together by electricity or magnetism or something. So we're magnetized and we're bonded to stuff. You know, what I do is when I, I make three boxes every time it's time to do a spring cleaning. Stuff I'm keeping, stuff I'm throwing away, stuff I'm not ready to part with yeah. yet. I take that stuff, I put it away, I don't look at it for a year, and the next year my bond has diminished and I can get rid of it. Oh, very good. And, and so for me, that's the science of all this. Is There is some science involved. There are crazy things that I won't do. There's certain pairs of shoes. I, I cannot get rid of certain pairs of shoes. Uh, there are certain coats I can't get rid of because Marty was there or Marty gave it to me. There's certain guitars I'll never get rid of because my mom bought me that guitar at Long and McQuaid's, you know. Well, you have your first guitar, don't you? Yeah, I do. I do. And yeah. it's a collector's uh, guitar. Yeah, it's a Yamaha. It's an FG180 and, uh, Yamaha yeah. red label, a non-Nippon Gaki, which tells me that it was in the transition period. Is this really exciting to you? That uh, <laughs> we were going from... Uh, we were going from the Japanese factory to the Chinese factory, and they didn't print Nippon Gaki, which was the name of the Japanese factory anymore. So the transition. There are very few of them. I've never even seen one other than mine. I, I always, and I, I own a Nippon Gaki, so I'm, I know what the real label looks like. I, I'm amazed at what you know. So Mar- Marty's gone, right? right? And at some point in time after you've gone through all the legalities, yeah. you start to realize that uh, he's not with you anymore, right? Yeah. So I've broken up with my fair share of women, God knows that, and I know what that loss is like, and I know what it's like sitting in my living room, uh, let's say on a Friday night, and it's really, really, really quiet. But I haven't lost right. a partner. What, right. what, 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 what did that feel like? Uh, I went out with friends. Friends took care of me. I was lucky to be blessed with a circle of friends that looked in on me and took care of me. Yeah. And took me out and took me to shows and made sure I was eating dinner and all that kind of stuff. Because you forget to eat, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I made sure that I had a lunch date. A friend of mine called me up after the shiva and said, all right, little girl, sit down on my lap and let me tell you how it's done. She'd been through this. And she said, you're going to go to lunch every day. I don't care with who. You're going to make a date. You're going to go into the city. You are going to lunch. And that's what kept me sane. And I remember my first lunch, who it was with, where we went. I remember every detail about that luncheon. And even though I don't speak to her on a regular basis today, I know that I can send her a note anytime and say, hey, you know, I'm still thinking about that. You saved my life. You've set me on the on the path. 
and I, I'm eternally grateful to you for that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there are those people who know how to do that. Yeah. And most people really don't. There are those people who know how to go to a shiva and to say the right things. And a lot of people really don't. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's an art form. Yeah. It really <clears throat> is. Yeah. And if you could take some take care of somebody yeah. who's lost somebody, that's a huge mitzvah. Right. That's a beautiful yeah. deed, isn't it? Yeah. And there are also other wisdoms that I gathered up that you don't know. When my mom got sick, yes. she had a lot of friends and a lot of people that knew her. And you find out you have to weed out the baddies, as my friend said to me. The baddies. About guys who were going to come around after after you lose your husband. A lot of baddies show up and they think they can get something from you. Yes. And, you know, you took care of this guy. Wow. Oh, you can take care of me now. Right. Hey, awesome. Right. Oh, and she'll go for it because she's Nebuch, she's a widow. Yes. Right? So there's a lot of that, that shit. So one of the other things that I noticed was that um, people would come around when my mom was sick. God forbid any of us should ever know this, but it's what happens. It's, it's good to know. It's on the good to know list that we should never need mm -hmm. is people come around and go, so your mother doesn't look so good. Is she going to die? Well, it's a <laughs> prognosis. And you know, your mother is in the earshot right. and she's hearing this. And after that person would leave, my mother would say, do me a favor. Don't let them call me anymore. Just tell them, uh, just don't let them, if they call, I don't want to answer their calls and don't let them into the house anymore. Yes. And we had a short list of maybe 12 people that were not allowed in the house anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for poking and prodding and asking and with an earshot. So what does the doctor say? What's a prognosis? Really? The prognosis? Sorry, we don't go there. So you don't ever want to say that to somebody. Just You must put them on the, on the uh, no contact list, an NC list. Yeah. Yeah, no, I remember that too uh, with my mother and with my sister. Uh, again, there were people who came around and were just highly inappropriate. Inappropriate. And and while they probably were trying to make the person feel better or themselves, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they did the opposite. It's in those moments they show their true colors. Then it's actually you should thank God that they have revealed them, that God has revealed who they really are to you. So you'll know not to waste too much time on those people. Yeah, exactly. This is how they are. And they're not going to be any good to you anytime. And you can't go and put the Rubik's Cube back together. No, with those people. That's exactly you right. On. You got to move on, yeah. and you may never see them again. But such is life. That's right. Such is life. Yeah. So let's touch on your music. Okay. okay? I I uh, remember from way back that you always were attuned to. You always had a certain love, certainly for rock and roll, but also for country music, right? Some, yeah. And sure. country music, Cajun music, yeah, right, yeah. Um, and also, I, I can't remember that genre of music. The Renaissance? Not the Renaissance. What is it? My lute, Renaissance lute? No. That was a big chunk of my... Yeah, I probably... You know, I didn't share that with a lot of people. You played... Oh, a, really? You played Renaissance I music? I have three lutes, yeah. Oh, do you? I did a season with the New York Continuo Collective, yeah. And it was the time of my life. I went to lute camp twice. Lute camp? It was awesome. Where's that? Uh, one was in... Uh, at Case Western University. Yeah. And the other time was in Connecticut. How long did you go for? Like a week? Yeah. And everybody had a lute? Well, yeah. So there are the lute, there's sort of the string players, the, there's the boat instrument players, there's the harpsichord players, then there's the, the recorder players right. who are the craziest nuts and the wildest partiers. Really? And the greatest music and like the rock and roll guys. Yeah. So the lute players, I think we're just a little more laid back. A little more laid back. Well, what do you think is it about the recording, uh, recorder players? They're just party animals. But why would a recorder elicit uh, that know, or vice versa? If you go online and listen to recorder players playing music from the Renaissance, oh my God, there's stuff that's posted like from Case Western and other, and from um, 
oh gosh, what's the name of the other venue? Come on, help me. I wish somebody could call in. Call. I wish I could call a friend right now. But uh, yeah, in Connecticut. But but there are anyways at all these loot early music camps. Yeah. There's always the recorder people, you know, and they're just unbelievable. I have such recorder envy. Like you have no idea. What did you do in loot camp? I played loot. We worked on pieces. We worked on our final performance because we did a show at the end of it. Okay. I learned techniques. I went into the beginner's classes to learn certain grounds and certain kinds of playing. And I would go into an intermediate. I did a master class and tweaked one piece that I had been working on to sit at the hem of a master and really learn the stuff. Like one time, I think it was Nigel North, who's phenomenal. And not to be missed, University of Indiana. It's just a great lutenist. <laughs> okay. Specialty. He has a few specialties. Um, just look, there's just some people out there who are incredible, and just to be able to sit with them because it's such a rare music form. This is why I don't, I don't talk much about it because it just puts you in a whole other place. Oh, you, you guys like a private club, sort of. I would say private clubs. Just we're the people nobody wants to hang around with because only we know what the hell we're talking about. Yeah, and what's the well? Let us in on this. What's the what's the essence? What's the intrigue? What's the cell of this whole thing? Where the the quirk? The quirk is, it's we all most of us play other forms of music, yeah. but the Renaissance is kind of Woodstock, the Woodstock era of the Enlightened period, yeah. where now we're getting away from devotional music, and now the music is more like jazz. It's polyphonic. It's very meandering. I call people who play Renaissance music meanderthals because <laughs> nice. we're meandering. Nice. And later on, when you get to the Baroque era, you're back into rock and roll. And that's a really interesting piece. It's very jagged and very intense. But the Renaissance is very like bebop jazz. It really is the bebop jazz of 500 years ago where instruments were evolving and there was technology changes and it was right after the Gutenberg press. Yeah. So you had an, an ability for many people to sit around a table and play music together, you know, and, and the instruments were, uh, were really evolving. So, you know, suddenly see more keyboards. What was a keyboard? It was a computer. Yes. It, it, each note represented a note that was plucked on an instrument. So you got to sit down and go, here's a pattern. Well, if I do that, it's the same as this form on a lute, let's say. And wow, how cool is this? I'm going to do it on the computer. It's more fun. So there was experimentation. Yeah. So to me, I say, and many people disagree, some people agree, that the keyboard became the first computer, computerized music. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because mm -hmm. it, it was theory. It was theoretical. Like, here's where the notes are. Here's how far apart they are when you're playing on a lute. Or if you're playing on an unfretted lute, a liberated pre-lute lute, which was an oud, where you can slide around because there's no frets, you know, and you have microtones. Then, of course, the West domesticated the oud and it became the lute, and you were limited to X amount of notes. But those notes you could translate and put onto a keyboard. So uh, back to your question about why is this interesting? Because I think about this stuff. There's people that are really, really PhDs in early music are yes. thinking about this a lot. And also the accessibility that you can listen to a lute song. And what you can hear is how much people loved and how intensely they loved. That they loved other people. That their hearts were broken. That they loved joy. That they woke up in the morning and looked at the same celestial bodies that we look at every day. And even though John Dowland's been gone for more than 500 years, you can still feel what he felt. And the words are so beautiful. You know, Sting did an album of lute music called Songs from the Labyrinth. Yes. And 
you can see all those songs are there, all these English lute songs, all about love. And he actually did a, a companion documentary about it where he and other early music specialists are talking about this form. And he said, you know, he must have been like had manic depression or something. Mm -hmm. He must have been bipolar mm -hmm. the way he wrote, you know. And it, it just puts you in a place. It just puts you in a place. Wow. I, I have never heard this before. Yeah. So I was reading something recently about, you talk about the piano and the harp, yeah, uh, yeah. the piano. I, I was reading recently uh, about Harpo Marx, who was a brilliant, brilliant pianist and also a harp player. And someone wrote, I don't remember whom, that basically they turned the harp on its side, they put it, laid it That's down, right. and it became the piano. Exactly right. Right? Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. yeah. So you guys know this stuff, whereas the lay people, myself, right. we yeah. wouldn't. So, I mean, you dig, book, you research. Yeah, there, there's, a, there's a book that I can even recommend. I recommend two books to people that ask me about myself. One is by Barbara Tuckman. Uh, it's called A Distant Mirror. Yes. And that's they'll give you a sense of what was going on in the world and the universe and the wars and what was happening and nationalizing, etc. The other book I recommend to people is Samuel Pepys' Diary. Okay. P-E-P-Y-S. Uh, -P -P and he was kind of a, a bureaucrat in the British Navy and created like a financial system for the Navy. That's his claim to fame. He played the lute. He was a partier. He was a carouser. He was there during the Great Fire in London and wrote about it. And I like to say that as Gluckel of Hamelin yes. was, uh, a was a Yiddish writing diarist of the Jews about 10 years difference. She's our Samuel Pepys. So to read Gluckel of Hamelin is an unbelievable experience also. You can find the book. It's around. Hard to find. Find it in the university libraries. You can order it on Amazon. And read the English version of it. A lot of quoting of the Tsena Urena. And she also experienced uh, a meteorite shower uh, firsthand, or she wrote about it, that people in her time experienced. And she was also around during the time of the Great Fire of London. It's just fascinating that 500 years later, this stuff can just really come to life for you. And this is the shit that you read. This is shit that I read. Go yeah. to, if you go to my Goodreads, it's all there. Yeah. And I invite people to come and friend me on Goodreads and they can read what I read. Have you done a podcast Those yourself? bastards. No. Yeah. Have you considered it? Mm -mm. Yeah. So I've been reading up a lot on the great interviewers. And I think there are some underlying things that are most important, one of which is uh, curiosity. And the other is knowledge. Studs Terkel talks about read as much as you can, know as much as you can about everything. Right. right. So to listen to you, that's kind of the feeling I'm getting. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. You ever you ever listen to someone talk about a particular subject, and you're sitting there and thinking, I've never heard of that person. Right. I never knew any of this about Renaissance music right. in this right. case, and you you feeling as a wow. There's like so much I don't know. Right. 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 Makes you feel a little littler, but on the flip side, it's a pleasure to listen because it's an education. Right. It's a class that you're giving me, right? Yeah. You're opening my mind. You're opening my soul, right? Wow. Now, I may not pursue this in any way. I'll probably look up the two books. But the fact of the matter is I now am, I've grown. Wow. With this, within this interview because of what you're saying, right? Wow. Like this is significant you. stuff. I really believe so. Our world is, like you were saying before, it's it's a gem. It's a treasure. It really is. It's a nonstop learning. Uh, and the more you find out, the more fascinating it becomes. Yeah, truly. And when you also get a sense of, again, I to me it's the it's English lute songs. It's when you really can understand and, and sort of 
the English that we speak today, sort of, what they were thinking, how they were loving things, and how they how things that were lyrics that they would use then we wouldn't use today because they're kind of embarrassing and kind of weird and creepy. Like what? Can you give us a lyric? Have you seen how the white, how the white lily grows before the earth has smudged it? Have you watched? Oh, Miriam would know this better than me. Yeah, I have like I have memory stuff now. Let's see. Um, that was good radio, though. That what you just did. We can hear you thinking. (laughs) Have you felt the warmth? Like, have you felt the. the, It's talking about. He's talking about a beaver's fur, the warmth of the beaver. Yeah. It's like. Well, I'm not really sure I'd write that into a song today, a love song. Uh, no, you won't, but I can see how someone might. Or have tasted the uh, the bag of the bee. Have you tasted the bag of the bee? Right. How sweet and delicious is that, right? Yes. What is the bag of the bee? You know, the bee is pulling pollen out of flowers and putting it in the bag of, yeah. and that's it's pollen right so have you tasted the bag do the you bag know what that bee. is right do you know how how a beaver's fur feels you know that's how much love i have for this person how i how much love i can have for somebody and that's that's basically what so what it is. so i'm always looking for a name for episodes and the bag of the bee would be a good one for this episode. Do you know what I was going to call this episode? No. I'm not sure which way I'll go. The bag of the bee? Uh, no, I, was, <laughs> well, I hadn't known that yet. <laughs> right. But I was thinking of calling it Daughter of 111855. Ooh, that's good. Is that powerful? Yeah, it and is that was powerful. And that was your father's number. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, from Auschwitz. Yeah. Yeah. So listen, play us a song. I want to hear one of your songs. Okay, so I have to run over there. Yeah, go the run over there. You got a beautiful brand new Yamaha. I do. So muzzle tough on that. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. You have a pick? Yeah, I have one. Okay. We've done quite a bit of music on this show. Aaron oh, Ben Shushan. Here's my, here's my pick. Yeah. Aaron Ben Shushan was on the show. He's a chazan. He's a cantor. Stayed it, in my house. Yeah, he stayed in your house. Listen to that interview because the man really is a giant yeah. when it comes to cantorial music. He's a rock star. Isn't he? He, yeah, is, he a really is a rock star. He really is. Yeah. Okay, yeah. tell us about the song. And I love you. Can I just ask you a quickie here? Sure. When you buy a new guitar, how yes. many guitars do you have? <laughs> ballpark, oh, been, ballpark. Okay, so I've been thinning out the herd. So actually, I bought three guitars because I was thinning out the herd. Yeah. So uh, ballpark. Lately. So ballpark. Well, yeah, I got about maybe 12, 12, 15. I remember years ago, Clant, uh, Eric Clapton started to sell his guitars. And I was thinking to myself, why would he do that? And then I started to realize he walks into a guitar store. He sees a Gretsch that he likes. He takes it home and he never plays it. Right, so what happens is then you swap them out for other stuff. Right. It just becomes collateral, and, and suddenly you have a house full of guitars. So, like, I like cheap guitars. It's a thing with me. I love cheap guitars. Why? Uh, because they're fun, because they're strays a little bit. They're strays, and you get to uh, uh, give them some love that you hope is a unique love that nobody else was ever able to give them. That's cool. And then you fall out of love with them, and you swap them out. I think Jack White... 
Yeah. Is that his name, Jack yes, White? Yes, I think he plays like a Zeller's guitar. Do you remember the Zeller's guitars? Plays, I think, does he play a Stella? It's like one Somebody of those. Plays a Stella. Right, where you yeah, go yeah. into Kmart right. for like ten ninety nine. Yeah. Yeah, and he actually, he has, I think it's a Gretsch. We just saw the documentary uh, that he did. It might get loud. Oh, yeah, it was yeah, a great, yeah. great, yeah, great yeah. documentary. So, yeah. you know, where he had the back of a guitar routed out. And he installed um, yeah, yeah. a microphone on right. it. Right, exactly. Like, I love that. Right. So, Tell yeah, us he, about this song. Tell us. Okay. Um, let's see. Do you want an original? Do you want... Uh, yeah, original. Okay, so this one is called... Uh, let's see. I guess I played it last night. Uh, Tell Me Now. This one's called Tell Me Now. And you wrote this. I wrote this a long time ago. Uh, I had met somebody and I was young. I was in my 20s. I think people do their best work in their 20s. And I would I would really ask uh, all 20-somethings out there to make sure that you preserve all the shit that you're doing now because when you hit 40s and 50s, that's the stuff that's going to redeem you. And actually, maybe even monetarily. Yeah. So just keep your song fragments, keep your uh, writings, keep your diaries, no matter how embarrassing because that's the stuff that connects with other people, and that's the stuff that people will be able to access when they're looking for a spokesman to represent what they're thinking. And if you do it in an artistic way, you're going to be helping so many people elevate how they feel and feel normal. Well, the mind and the soul start to become fertile that's at right. that age. Yeah. Like you're leaving those institutions that have sort right. of control over right. your, your, your thinking right. and you're developing your, yourself. That's right. Yeah. I posted, I cross-posted an interview, uh, I think maybe even this week, uh, with Amy Winehouse talking about I how her. her singing, you know, songs just made the listener feel like, oh, well, I guess I'm normal. Oh, oh somebody else is, oh, look, she's yeah. singing about that. I guess I'm okay. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. that's really, you just want to liberate people mm -hmm. from feeling that something's wrong with them because they're loving a certain way and it's not being reciprocated or whatever. Whatever. It doesn't I, have to uh, be about love. I adored her. Adored yeah, me her. too. Me too. Okay, go. Big loss. Okay, so you ready? I'm ready. Got back into town. Tell me what's gone down. Are you safe and are you sound? Or have you been running around? Tell me now, tell me now. Tell me, tell me, tell me. Tell me now. Did you laugh me off? Did you think of me and scoff? Did it make you feel like crying? Are you still mine? Are you still mine? Tell me now, tell me now Tell me, tell me, tell me Midnight oil and rock and roll Am I still that good?
girl you want to see Is it me? You got real big when you played that. You, you got real big. Yeah. Your, your body got real yeah, big. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, why would you ask the question in your 20s, am I still the girl you want to see? Uh, is that is that a question a lot of yeah, girls Yeah, because I think people, listen, I always I always say, <laughs> I write from your experience, not from mine, right. necessarily. Right. So I hear people, and I hear what they say to me, and I say, well, okay, they're giving me, they're giving me a mass of clay, and now I'm going to mold it into something and see what what it is that they're they're really feeling and i think people have real trepidations when they're going out with somebody is that person going to love me as much as i love them yeah early on and yeah. it's it's the worst you know again it should only be something you experience once like go through the courtship and then like dispense with it and get on with your lives there's so much coming at you i know and it's a mortgage and it's kids yeah and then it's a whole bunch of other stuff you know and and then you discover stuff about each other you had no idea so dispense with you know, you know and then this is the way we lock in we're gonna have this forever you still want to see me? You still love me, even though you know this about me? You love me? Do you love me? Yeah, sure. yeah. Were you, were you surprised when they still loved you? Yeah. Yeah, so was I. Yeah. Me too. Yeah, that's big. It's huge. 
it is one thing. One thing. Huge. One thing I get from my son is yeah, and I didn't have this growing up. But one right. thing I get from my son is the like, key always loves me. That's right. He's no matter what you. shit I do, and sometimes I'm right. a jerk, right? Yeah. He always loves me. Yeah, as long as you're honest. Yeah. Be honest because he is looking at you and he's studying you because no matter who you are and how shitty a person you think you are, he wants to be you, and that is a huge responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. And and so you better dispense with. I love you. I don't love you. You know, will you be my girlfriend? Will you be my boyfriend? Get that out of the way. Yeah. Because pretty soon afterwards, there's going to be a small set of eyes looking at you, recording and reporting. Yeah. Saying, this is who I want to be for the rest of my life. And one day they may be on a couch telling a professional, that's who I wanted to be for the rest <laughs> of my life. Okay? And that's what Are happens. your daughters like you? I don't know. You'd have to ask them. Do you no, get Miriam you, on the show? Do you ever and see Yona. yourself in them? Do I, yeah, definitely. And how does that feel? uh amazing yeah it does it does it's it's a life affirming thing it, it just it, it's such a non-earthly feeling that you yeah. don't even know where it comes from so is there's like a character trait that linda Carr has and we're always trying to figure out whether those traits make sense or not right right and then all of a sudden your kid picks it up so That's you're right. thinking yeah this might be good right and right. i might be good right right my mother used to say you auction <laughs> yeah, my mother you're too. so stubborn <laughs> right and now i see my kids are stubborn and steadfast. Are they loving like you though? Are they like really oh, generous God. of spirit? Oh yeah, they're they're they're. I thank God every day. They're unbelievable. That yeah. They turned out so good. Unbelievable. Yeah. 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 And smart, smart so, like whips. So play something that's entirely different. Another another genre. Another genre. The, yeah, like something people wouldn't hear, like Cajun or something along that lines. Uh, something original. Yeah, original. I like your original stuff. Now, I, I don't know if I know all the words to this one. Don't worry about it. We'll yeah, make it up. And I'm, and I'm freestyling because I don't have a phone. It sounds I good. I want the world to know that. I'm going in the direction of a flip phone, friends. Flip phone. It's all over Palo Alto. And I think flip phone is the way to disconnect your brain from the prosthetic device for your brain, which is the phone, which makes you think you're smarter than you are. Thank you, Linda Carr. Now, what the hell key was this in? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also be an A. We'll do an A. First time I ever laid eyes on you, you made a little... No, we'll try it again. First time you ever laid eyes on me, you made a little splash. You said, hey, let's swim away. We'll swim forever. Oh, swim away. We'll swim together. The first time I ever laid eyes on you, I was sailing across the sky so blue. I said, fly with me, we'll fly together. Oh, fly with me, we'll fly forever. But a bird and a fish can never wed. They can't find a place to make their bed. No, a bird and a fish can never marry. Oh, 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 a bird and a fish can never marry. I flew from the mountains down to the sea, but I could not shake what you mean to me. So I asked the Lord how we'd be together. Oh, I asked the maker how we'd be together. He said, if love's real, if it has no end, you can make your home on the head of a pin. You know the question, go find the answer. 
If you know the question, you'll find the answer. But a bird and a fish can never wed. Can't find a place to make their bed. No, a bird and a fish can never marry. Oh, a bird and a fish can never marry. We look to each other from fin to feather when love is true. There's your answer. Oh, 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 when love is true, there's no question. Birds can't swim and fish can't fly. They do it every day in the blink of an eye. We'll make our home by and by. Oh, 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 we'll make our home by and by. What'd you say? Birds can't swim, a fish can't fly. They do it every day in the blink of an eye. We'll make our home by and by. Oh, 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 oh. birds can't swim, fish can't fly. Yeah, birds can't swim, fish can't fly. Oh, 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 oh. birds can't swim, fish can't fly. That was beautiful. I love Thank that. You. I love that. I keep thinking though that they can get married. I don't know why. Well, you know, I took basically for that song, I took a Cajun beat and yeah. melody. Yeah. And I married it to uh Sholom Aleichem and to a piece of Torah, which is, you know, you can uh a, a bird and a fish can't can't get married because they can't find a place uh to build a home. And that's where that song came out of. And I said, oh, yes, they can, because I'm a stubborn auction. Yes, so I agree yes, with you. Can. Yes, they can. Of course they And can. I'm thinking like a nice little pool, and, yeah. and there's a really nice yeah. field surrounding birds it. Birds can swim, and fish can fly. Yeah. There are birds that swim, and there are fish that fly. I know. I'm pissed so, off, too. come on. And this song actually reflects your marriage with, to Marty Carr. Yeah, I wrote it about him. Yeah, Ruth Schweitzer, Ruth Schweitzer in the, in the uh, Canadian Jewish News wrote a very nice article about this. God bless her. I saw her in Poland last summer. Did you? Did yeah, you just yeah. sort of? Isn't that funny when you meet people? Yeah, all over the in world. In Poland. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a few questions to okay, close fine. this off. Yeah, Poland is did, magical. Did yeah. you enjoy uh, singing and playing? Yes. Do you always? Do you ever go up there and you don't? No, no. Sometimes you're off your game. Usually it's because you're catching a cold. Yeah. There's some physical manifestation. So you'll get off the stage and you'll discover you have like a hundred and two fever because you're fighting something <laughs> right, off. Right. Right. You right. Know? Right. Yeah. Do you ever screw up? Uh, sure. I don't mean like a wrong chord or wrong note, but you have to stop the song. No, never, never. Yeah. Yeah. It's never I'm happened. like that with public speaking too. I know there's a mistake happening. Right. But uh, you generally other people don't. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah You yeah. can always crochet your way around the mistake. Yeah, Nobody so just a notice. few questions, then we got to yeah, end yeah, off yeah. here. The, the Hadassah Bazaar was huge in your home, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Your mother was the president of her My chapter. My mother was the queen The Wito chapter. chapter, right? Yeah, yes. Right, so every single year you would go. Yeah, Masada chapter. Shout out Masada. Masada. Shout out Masada. And here was, here's what I like about an article that your mom wrote, is that she says, and my daughter... Who had I think a nine month old do- right. a child? Yeah, yeah. Drove in from Teaneck, yes, New Jersey, that's right. to attend yes. the Hadassah Bazaar. That's right. That's where, right. Where your mother was very prominent. Yes, yes. That was very nice of you. That yeah. was very beautiful. And I have all the video clips to show for it. Yes. Do you remember the trip? Sure, absolutely. Was your how was your little one in the car? She was great. I remember I, I drove. It was my it was uh 
a sob. I drove the red sob up. Yeah. And I, I remember your in. sob. Yeah. yeah. I strapped her in. We did it in one day. She was great company. She was strapped in the back. I made sure to look in on her. I didn't drink too much, so I didn't have to pee too much. Yeah. So yeah. no big coffee stops, you yeah. know? Yeah. So you were a real hearty mom? Yeah. Like you weren't worried about taking these no. long trips, no. trips with your kids? No, I'll tell you a real Jewy thing if you want to hear a real yeah, Jewy yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, good job. I think everybody should do this uh, in whatever whatever faith or what, whatever, uh, your you Your background. Whatever background. Each of my children, when they were six months old, went to Israel. So they could never say, I've never been to Israel. Oh, okay. How were the trips? Phenomenal. Do you breastfeed openly? Um, no. You're, are you private about that? No, not really. But I'll go into a bathroom. Yeah. If, you know, if, I, if I don't want to make a testicle out of myself in front of people that are just not interested and <laughs> it makes them uncomfortable. Yeah. 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 Well, you that's know? good of you to think that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. some people are like, uncomfortable. It's not always about you. If you can feed the kid anywhere, that's the whole idea about the equipment. Are you making somebody uncomfortable? Just go take care of that somewhere else. Yeah. fine. Did you love Nobody's breastfeeding? I don't know. I, you know what was great about it? Yeah. I used to love to get the baby in the middle of the night, bring the baby into bed, and let the baby nurse on me till I fell asleep. So I slept great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's none of those chairs. None of those chair thing or got to put the baby back in the crib. That was not happening. Oh, what a selfish mother you were. Terrible. Yeah, I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, true. Riding for the, for the living. Mm -hmm. So you go to Poland. This was when? 2000, Last year. 2018. And you drove 44 miles. 50, well, it was a 55-mile bike ride of which I think I did like uh, according 44 to the miles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The I got on the bus for about 10 miles. You just couldn't do I it anymore. Beat. Yeah, I, today I could do it. Normally I could do it. It's a nothing ride. Yeah. It's eight hours, most, most of which is just fun because I can ride 11 miles, 12 miles an hour, uh -huh, you know, uh -huh. so I could get it done in half the time. But I was so jet-lagged and so overstimulated and bagged. so excited. Yeah. And this is, we should say, this is a bike ride from Auschwitz. From Auschwitz to Krakow. And how was that? How was that? It's really interesting. It must be. Yeah, because my dad was in Auschwitz. So my whole thing was, I made my my sort of, my handle, you know, my, my screen name and my identity was 111855, my dad's number on his, his arm. Yeah, right. his number. That's right. And I did it for 111855. And, you know, so there's 200 of us who do it now. It's it's been building over the years. It's phenomenal success, this bike ride. I love that. And um, I uh, mostly befriended other people that had done the ride before. One of the more, you know, stellar ones, other than the all the people that, a lot of Canadians, a lot of people from uh, Memphis. There were like 11 people from Memphis, Tennessee on the ride. People from New Orleans came from all over. And uh, and so, and Greg Lamont, who was the three-time... Uh, Tour de France, uh, Tour de France winner. winner. Yeah, I met him and his wife, and really we kind of rode the bike, rode the bus, I'm sorry, to Auschwitz together. I know it just sounds it sounds insane, but yeah, we, yeah. So here's here's what you we said got on the bus. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go here's ahead. what you said in an article. You were quoted as saying, um, "And I love I, lo I love your your fuck you attitude. I just you know fuck you you Nazis, right? <laughs> and the minute I crossed the finish line, I said to myself, Dad, we did it, we made it. Yeah, yeah." That's right. That's what I said. You were thinking about your dad, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. What would her father have thought of this ride? He would have thought it was crazy, uh, Krar said. And then she paused. He would have thought it was crazy, but you know, he was a boxer, and I think he would have appreciated the physicality of the ride. Yeah. So you looked at it in both ways. Yeah, yeah right? sure. Like on one hand, your dad would say, wow, Michigan, Auschwitz, right. what? You right. leave Auschwitz, you never go back, right? Right. Right. Yeah. But on the other hand, you know, my dad wanted to go to Berlin to see the blowing up of the Reichstag. Oh. So my dad just wanted to go and see. He was a sojourner of the truth. 
He, he wanted was. to see. He yeah, was. That's right. Well, he raised a lovely daughter, I must no, you tell you. You're the best. Thanks for and, saying And your mom. So, so listen, I loved having you here. I did. It was great. I love being here. I know. It was such an interesting interview. Nobody has done an interview like this. So, so let me turn it around and ask you a question. Yeah. What are we doing for our next interview? <laughs> yeah, we'll have to figure that yeah, one out. Right. We'll have to figure, we'll just go into a blank slate or something I think like so. that. Yeah, the best. But, the I, best. but I think, I don't know, just talking to you, we could cover hours and hours if we wanted to, That's right? That's so true, right? Yeah. So, so like it's old great. Times. It's great to see you. You too. Really, after all you these too. years. Good night, horror, man. You're looking great. Thank you. You too. Thanks. You too. Thank you. And I want to thank our listeners as well um, for listening to Hat Radio. You know, really, the essence of this radio show is to bring positivity to the world. It really is, because there's enough garbage out there. Everybody's writing about it. And what I want to do is bring out uh, the gifts, the talents, the gems, the things that lie inside of us that are just so beautiful. You so, you don't even have to say that because the fact of the podcast says it for you. Well, thank you. Thank you. I, I really <laughs> hope, honestly, with all my heart, Linda, I hope this inspires a lot of people. I hope they listen to you and they say, me too. Like, and I hope they reach out. If they yeah. have stuff they want to say, reach out. I'm always looking for new songs to write. Let's go. Let's get the party started. Is there a place people can be in touch with you? Oh, they can reach me on Facebook. I'm very easy to You're find. You're on Facebook. Linda yeah, Krar. Linda Krar. Very easy to find. L-Y-N-D-A. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. K-R-A-A-R. Yeah, How and, many for, and for the love of dear God, friend me on Goodreads and let's see what we're all reading, what's in each other's heads. Good for you. Yeah. How many last names have you had? Too many. It's a law Four? firm. Four? It's a law firm. Yeah, probably. It's a law firm. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. And how did you how did you arrive at Krar? Why did you choose that? Well, it's Marty's name, and I very much live my life now in spirit of Marty. You do. Yeah, I don't think I'll be changing that last what, name anytime what, soon. What was depends. your depends? I might, but I I Stevful. What was your original last Shedletsky? name? Shedletsky. Yeah, so that's a good one to change. No, Shedletsky's a beautiful. Did thing you like Shedletsky? Yeah, it means settlers. Okay. And okay. the settlers who came and set and settled in Shedletsk. In Poland, were actually Catholics who came from England. Yeah, yeah I was. I was they made a silly. holy city yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. And there, uh, uh, out of the five thousand or so Shedletskis in in uh, Poland, maybe five uh, percent are Jews of are all they? the Shedletskis in the world. Yeah, Shedletsky. Yeah, you should maybe put a dash between all your names. <laughs> it looked like a choo-choo train. <laughs> yeah, you would never like sponsor a hockey team. That's for sure. Not <laughs> enough room on the back of the exactly. shirt. Linda Kraer, thank you for being us with us, and uh, thank you to all of our listeners for listening. Uh, we're going to have like great, great, you know who I'm going to be interviewing? No. Uh, the server across the street at Wimpy's. It's a kind of a deli that I go to. What? I really want to do that. They I want to hear good, what. A sweet potato fries. They, well, they do, but I want to hear what's on her mind. I'm yeah. fascinated. When I go through a cash at Metro or at No Frills, I often think, and sometimes I'll even ask, is that, can you tell who I am at all by my shopping? Right. You know, can you see something in people in terms of the produce that they buy, you yeah. know, or the desserts that they buy? I really want to get in the heads because these are the people who understand humankind. Yeah. You know, because they're exposed to to, to that aspect of people all the time. They're so, the most important person in the chain. It's the point of sale. Yes. That's the experience people are left with nice. when they leave a place of business. Nice. Yeah. Yona, what, Yona's all about that. Is she? Oh, yeah. She could do a PhD on it. Yeah. That's, that's why I said you should do a podcast. Okay. You have been listening to Hat Radio. God bless. Step inside my living room. Share a little talk. By roads walked and lessons learned. Keeping the flame of faith burning I wanna know where you've been 
what you found out Spread some light in the darkness Spread it all about In the height In the height Put it all in the height